Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. Shirley has been such a blessing to me over the last five years. So wise in the word, so much to share. And so I'm going to let her introduce herself, but I am excited for you to hear from her this morning. So let's, let's join together in praying for Shirley, and we'll turn it over to her. God, we praise your name. We just worship you as we have joined in song to declare that you are the solid rock on which we stand. We're so thankful for that, Father. Thank you for the time that we have had to share with our groups as you have taught us in your word this week. Thank you for teaching Shirley as she spent time in your word this week, and we just look forward to hearing what, what you have placed on her heart and what you have to say to us through her. Would you give her courage? Would you give her um, everything she needs exactly when she needs it as she shares with us? And would you help us to listen, to pay attention, uh, to expect to hear something specifically for us from you, and to put it into practice? God, we are, um, we are just so humbled to be your children. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, as Amy said, my name is Shirley, and I'm single, so I don't have any pictures of my husband and kids to show you like everybody always does, but I do want to say that being single, I can look back on my long life and know that there's been so many instances when God has been able to use me or give me opportunities that would have been much, much harder to avail myself of if I had been married or had a family. And I guess one of them that comes so readily to my mind is when I had the opportunity to open my home to my sister and brother-in-law and their two-year-old child when they were going through some extremely difficult emotional times and financial times. And I had three years where I could love on that little boy and share God's love in a way that I would have never had and that he needed to have at that point in time. Another time, I had the opportunity to visit Israel with Kay Arthur and go on a Bible teaching tour and hear God's word taught at the same place Jesus taught it and how it opened my eyes so much to the reality of what Jesus was teaching. But as, as part of that, I also know that it's important to have a spiritual family because I don't have a close physical family. And so my spiritual family has become a group of ladies at Camp Cedar Brook, Texas. So I minister there in the summers for a week or two. And this is our staff from last summer. And as I look at these group of ladies, you'll see there's lots of different ages, different shapes, different sizes, whatever, because we are volunteers and we come from a variety of different backgrounds, but all come to serve and love the Lord and to share that love with kids. And one of the neatest things, because I've been involved for a long time, is the fact that I have watched young campers grow up in the camping program, become adults, go on the mission field, have their own families, come back as staff. And then I've seen their kids grow up <laughs> and do the same thing and come back on staff. And two years ago, we were really blessed. We had two families where we had three generations of women all serving on staff. You know, that is a testimony as to God's faithfulness to them, to us, and to the ministry. And there's another picture there on the, your left, I guess. It's just a bunch of the campers and having fun in the dining hall. But the picture on the right really 
demonstrates why this camp is such a ministry to me and why I love it so much. And that's because our focus is on sharing God's word, teaching the campers to have a daily quiet time, and then to study God's word in a small group. We don't have any big assemblies like church or that. It's always the small group teachings within their cabin group. And that's where we are here. That's why we're called here. We're studying God's word in small groups. And that's why I think that God blesses our time as we spend time together sharing in his word. And so this morning, let's start with a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump right into our message from Kings. Oh, Father, we just come before you right now asking that you will open the eyes of our heart, that we will hear what you have to say to each one of us individually this morning. That as we look at Solomon and what happened to him, that you will help us see where we are heading or what it, where our heart is leading us. So, Father, I just ask that you might take over my words and speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thinking back, and I'm going to review just a little bit here. First week of Kings, Hallie talked about why Solomon? And if you remember, she clearly showed us that it was Solomon because Solomon was God's chosen. Solomon was chosen by God to be the king and to build the temple. There was no doubt about that. Solomon was in the place he was meant to be. And with that, he was charged. And I want you to remember these charges that he was given. First we see, whoop, first we see the charge from his father, David. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. Then, when God comes to him and grants him wisdom, God also charges him and says, if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. So then my mind went, okay, what were these commandments and statutes and ordinances that Solomon was supposed to follow? And you touched on them in your study this week. They're from the, the Torah, mainly from the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy 17, God clearly laid out some plans and the laws that kings were to follow. They didn't have a king at that point in time, but God knew they were going to. And so in preparation, he had already laid out the laws. So let's glance briefly at those again to remind you what Solomon was to be doing as the king of Israel. It says, Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom. He shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes. And that his heart may not be lifted above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or the left, in order that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. That's from Deuteronomy 17. So, now that we are reminded that God chose Solomon, 
We know that Solomon had specific instructions on what he was supposed to do. Then my question as I went into this week was, what happened to Solomon? <laughs> I mean, I thought about, I mean, he had such a solid foundation. He was where God wanted him to be. He knew exactly what he needed to do to succeed and what happened. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning is what happened to Solomon. And um, before we get into that, I have to warn you, I'm a, I'm a list maker. One of the ways that I've been taught to study the Bible is to look at the text and to make a list of exactly what the text says on different topics or different people or whatever. And so you're going to be subjected to one of my lists this morning as to what I saw that what happened to Solomon. So first up, he compromised the law. When you stop and think about it, one of the first things he did when he became king was he went and married the, wife, the daughter of a pharaoh of Egypt. I'm sure that a big part of that was the fact that it was a marriage alliance. It was to build a relationship with Egypt. Well, two points. One, that wasn't his first wife, and we can see that because later in 1 Kings 14, it tells us that Rehoboam was 41 before he became king, and Solomon reigned for 40 years. He had a wife before this wife from Egypt. <laughs> so he automatically compromised by that second wife. He compromised because he went back to Egypt. Both things that God said, don't do. He compromised the law. And then Solomon was tasked with building the temple. But I think he became so focused on building that temple that he forgot why and for who he was building that temple. You know, if you look at the description or the narrative of where he's building, the temple is being built, it consistently says over and over, he built, he made. Solomon was, Solomon was in every aspect of the building of that temple. He's called to do that task, but it took over. Three, and in that building of that temple, he worshipped creation. He worshipped what he was building more than he worshipped the God that it was being built for. And I say that because in the middle of that building process, the word of God, God came to Solomon again. And it says, if you walk, will walk in my statutes and my, execute my ordinances and keep all my commandments by walking in them, then <clears throat> I will carry out my word with you. I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. He had to be reminded of why he was building that temple. And if you fast forward a little bit, in the prayer of dedication for the temple, what did Solomon say over and over in that prayer? When they pray towards this house, then here in heaven. He put that temple in between the people and God, worshiping it as a stepping stone to be able to get to God. And then we see putting himself over God. Think about his, his palace, his complex. What did the scriptures say about it? It took twice as long to build. It was built with the same costly stones and the cedars of Lebanon and all the things that were in the temple. He copied and built bigger and better from the temple 
It was an architectural wonder, arches and windows and all kinds of fancy things. <clears throat> so, at this point, we see Solomon at the high point of his life. He's got the temple built. He's got his palace built. He's at peace with the nations around him. He'd accomplished what he set out to do. He had done what he felt God had called him to do. And at this point, God appears to Solomon again. <laughs> God's not, God doesn't let us forget what he's calling us to do. But Solomon was at a turning point in his life. He was at the high point, and God appears to him again. In 1 Kings 9, 4 through 7, he reminds him, And as for you, if you will walk before me as your father David walked, in integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and will keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, just as I promised your father David, saying, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you or your son shall indeed turn away from following me and shall not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you and shall go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them and the house which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. God very specifically warns him again, it's your heart. Are you walking in integrity of heart? Are you being obedient? And if not, all that you've done is going to be in vain. So he's at this turning point, this high point. He's finished all of his tasks. God has come and reminded him. And then what do we see within Solomon? What I saw was he had idle hands. He didn't know what to do with himself. <laughs> have you guys ever been in that point? I know I have been. A couple years ago, I was involved with a major, massive project at work. And we were required to work minimally 60 hours a week, often up to 80 because we had deadlines that had to be met. And if we didn't meet the deadline, the hospital was impose this massive fine by, by the vendor. And we were required to re do this. And we were just finally sort of hitting the turning point on that a little bit, that it wasn't going to be as required when the start of COVID came into play. And at that point, my boss did something that just went like to me in, the, in my head saying, I've been telling you it's time to retire. Do it. <laughs> I mean, I had been battling it back and forth and back and forth for years, but it was like, do it. And so I did. I retired. And so all of a sudden, I found, found myself without a job to go to. I lost that 60 to 80 hours a week of my life that had been dedicated to doing something. And then there's a stay-at-home order. <laughs> I could do absolutely nothing. I could go no place a turning point for me. And God reminded me from Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Or some version says, it's cease striving. And so my decision was to fill my time in seeking him, to knowing him. And I listened to so many sermons that I'd missed, podcasts, I mean, you name it. I immersed myself in God's word. Be still and know I'm God. We all have a point when we have those idle times. And we have a choice. 
Solomon had a choice. He could seek God in those times, or he could continue down paths he was going. Idle hands, what do you do with them? Well, with Solomon's idle hands, we see him becoming even more and more prideful. He, um, with his wealth, he built a nice big throne. He um, became very well known for his wisdom. Um, 1 Kings 10.23 says, So King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. He became known for his wisdom. But what kind of wisdom? I had to ask myself that. And then he accumulated wealth. He got 666 talents of gold, which is essentially 800,000 ounces a year from just gifts, just being whatever. That didn't count the money that came in from taxes, commerce, trading, all the things that were going on otherwise in his life. And you, if we remember back to chapter 4, we were told that all of his household provision for him and his stables and everything else were provided. So he didn't even have any household expenses to pay for. So he was just accumulating money. What did he do with it? One thing he did with it was he, he made 300 large gold shields and 200 medium shields to put in his house. They decorated his house. Because it says in the house of the cedars of Lebanon, which was the terminology for his house, the palace. These shields were good for nothing except to display. A shield of gold cannot be used in battle because gold is too malleable and armor would pierce it. They were useless except to display his wealth. He built a large ornate throne. And then, to me, this is where I see Solomon stopped using his gift. Now, whether it was using it totally or just not using it for the purpose that he'd asked for and the reason why God gave it to him. But we see nothing else about his wisdom throughout the rest of Kings and the rest of his, what we hear about King, King Solomon. So to me, it was just that point that it was like, I'm doing what I want to do and... Nothing else really matters in my life. And this is where we see that direct disobedience. Yeah, okay, direct disobedience the law. The direct disobedience. This is the beginning of chapter 11, where we see he's multiplied horses. He became a horse trader with Egypt, of course, selling and buying horses. But then he also multiplied his wives. Scripture tells us that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And many of those wives were from the nations where God had told the Israelites, do not associate with these people. Drive them out and don't associate with them. And yet Solomon directly disobeyed that commandment. Very blatantly disobeyed. And with those wives, let me backtrack a With his wives... He allowed them to bring their gods in. And when they did, those gods worked to turn his heart away from God. Solomon started shift, making that shift. And we read that his, heart turned his, his wives turned his heart away. 
And 11.4 says his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord. So we see this gradual pulling away, even from the semi-worship of God, the looking like he was worshiping God when he did feasts and that kind of stuff at the temple, to the point that he was pulling more and more away from God, to the point that he then, whoops, let me back up. Oh, his heart turned away from God. Ah, I'm missing one of the statements here. Okay, but anyway, then he worshiped other gods. He totally turned away to worshiping other gods. And scripture tells us that he built high place for Shemos, the detestable idol of Moab, and Molech, the detestable idol of their sons of Ammon. He actively, physically became in worship, involved in worshiping other gods. And as I was looking at that, I was reminded of Matthew 6, 24, where God says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We can't serve two gods. Solomon couldn't serve God and all these detestable ones that his wives brought in. There was a choice, and he went more and more and more towards serving the other God. And then we come to the statement that's up here. He ignored God's warning. In 1 Kings 11, 9-13, God comes to Solomon again and says, because you've done all these things and because you've gone after other gods, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. God warned him. Our God is gracious. He's faithful. What would God have done if Solomon had turned his life around at that point? We don't know, but God's gracious. God is forgiving. But Solomon chose to ignore that warning that God put before him. And then he resisted God's discipline. You know, God had kept the nation of Israel at peace most of all of Solomon's reign. And here at the end of chapter 11, we read about Hadad the Edenite and Rezan from um, Damascus who were coming against him. This is what God had said to the people of Israel. When you don't obey, people are going to come against you. There are going to be wars. There's going to be issues. So he is res resisting the discipline God is giving him. Again, saying, I don't care, God. Hey, it's not going to affect me. You're, gonna, you're not taking it away from me. That's going to be my son's problem to deal with. He resisted the discipline that God put before him. And then he opposed God's servant. The last thing we read about, really in the narrative of Solomon, is the fact that he knew, Solomon knew, that Jeroboam was chosen by God to be the king to follow him. And Solomon could have come alongside of Jeroboam and trained him, helped him see what was God's plan for him. Like his father David had come alongside him. We know that David worked with him to know how to build the temple, what to put in the temple. He trained Solomon. Solomon could have chosen to help Jeroboam, knowing that that was God's servant. And instead, he directly opposed him and sought to have Jeroboam killed.
And we have that opportunity sometimes to do we oppose who's God put in, who, who the servant that God has put before us. Just something to think about. And now as you think about it, you look, think back through that list. As I looked at that list, I saw a spiral. A little, you know, just sort of circling the edges up here, getting tighter and tighter and tighter, going downward to that funnel that just sucks us away from God. We're not immune to that, and God knew that. And we see warnings of that in the New Testament. If we look at Romans 1, towards the end of Romans 1, God makes four very distinct statements that, to me, describe the cycle as well. Verse 21 says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Verse 25 says, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Verse 28, They did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. And verse 32, Although they knew the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. You see Solomon? Do you see yourself? Think about it. We also see it in a little bit more concise statement in James 1, 14-15. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin and when sin is, ac- is accomplished, it brings forth death. Or to make it even more simple, if you listen to it in the NLT, the New Living Translation, it says, Temptation comes from the lure of our own desires. These evil desires lead to evil actions, and evil actions lead to death. Short, concise, and frightening. So now I want you to think about ourselves and where we are in all of this. God knew that we were going to face the same downward opportunities of a downward spiral. And Jesus, as he was talking to his disciples one last time at the Last Supper, gave them a charge, a charge that's for them as well as for us. Look at this charge. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Sound familiar? John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Do we have a charge? Yes. But you know, there's one major difference between the charge that was given to Solomon and the charge that was given to us, and that is we're not doing it alone. Solomon had himself. We have the Holy Spirit as well. We don't carry, ah, let me back up, through Jesus, who is, we have the new covenant. And if you look at Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27, it says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. We don't just carry the word of God around in a pocket, in our pocket, hopefully. 
Many people do just carry around their Bibles, right? And never open it, which I think maybe Solomon did. But we have the Word of God living within us. You know, as Marty reminded us and taught us last week, we are the living stones. We are the temple of God. We have His Spirit within us. And through His death, through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, that Spirit is ours. That Spirit is there to teach us and to remind us of those ordinances. Um, John 14, 26. Same message there in the, during the Last Supper. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And in John 16, 13. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. We're not alone. We're charged to walk in his ordinances, but the Holy Spirit is right there to help us, to remind us, to guide us, and to give us direction. But, you know, there's always that but, right? We also have to remember that God has said that Satan is prowling around like a lion, waiting to devour us, waiting to find that one little chink that will start us down that downward spiral. So I want to ask you this morning to think of these things and answer these questions for yourself. Where are you compromising the law of God to fit the norms of our culture? Are you showing partial obedience, not really obeying with all your heart? Are you so task-oriented you have forgotten why you're doing something and who you are serving. Are you serving for the glory of God or for man? Are you thankful for the gifts and talents God has given you? Are you using them for his glory? Are there people in your life that are causing you to compromise? Think about Solomon's wives. And what they did to him. And then what is keeping you from wholeheartedly following God? I want you to stand. And together we're going to read Psalm 139 verses 24, 23 through 24. And I'm going to ask you to make this the prayer of your heart this morning as we close. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. And Father, that is the prayer of our heart this morning. That you will teach us and lead us. And help us to see where Satan is working on us. I'll just draw us closer to you. And we thank you and bless your holy name. Amen.